Well, there have been there have been two that come to mind. One was with uh, Stanley Kubrick when I did uh, Full Metal Jacket, which is Stanley Kubrick's considered one of the the top film directors of all time. You know, uh, with classics like Clockwork Orange, Two Thousand One Space Odyssey. I mean, a lot of great films. And I have been given one of the leads in that film. Uh, I had actually I auditioned in England. I was doing Death Wish Three with Charles Bronson in, in London, and I heard Kubrick was casting, and so I called. I called up and did a British accent and acted like I was an agent. I said, "You must see Kirk Taylor. He's he's wonderful. He's here shooting with Mr. Bronson. Mr. Bronson's very fond of him. We'd like you to see him and have Mr. Kubrick see him for Full Metal Jacket." And they were like, "Yeah, okay." Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What's up, what's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community showing you, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance and prosperity on your way to having more. And I truly believe it's your responsibility to do so. Now, listen, I get it. Some of you have been kicked down. Many of you have been kicked down. We've all been kicked down once, twice, some of us several times. And when you truly know what it is that you want in life, when you know what your purpose is, and I believe the only way you can really realize what your purpose is is to be involved and just put yourself out there and experience as much as possible. But once you figure it out, what it is, what you feel deep in your soul, what gets you up in the morning and what you should be doing, but you just feel that you're not getting the results that you feel you want to get, you keep pushing forward. But listen, guys, where many of you are making a huge mistake is you're trying to push forward alone. You're not bringing anybody else into your dream. You're not bringing anybody else into your life to help you with your goals, your projects and your dreams. And I find this to be a huge tragedy, not just because you're not reaching your level of success that you want, but because the people that need what you have to offer in your products and services or in your message or whatever it is that you're delivering that you know you need to get out to the world, others are not receiving that. I want to help you get your message out. I want to help you set yourself apart from your competition if you're in an industry where you have competition in your area or even if you're online. And I'm in a position where I'm prepared to help you with your biggest business problem that you feel that you have. And I'm not going to charge you a dime for it. Seriously, no strings attached whatsoever. Just go to menofabundance.com forward slash MDP menofabundance.com slash MDP. There's a very short video there that explains in part how and why I'm able to show any business owner how to find at least $50,000 in their business in 45 minutes. I know you may think that sounds like hyperbole, but just go watch the video and you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, our future guest today definitely knows the experience of being kicked down and getting back up multiple times and bigger each and every time. And you may have seen our featured guest on various films and TV shows such as Full Metal Jacket, Death Wish 3, The Last Dragon, School Days, as well as Law and Order, Chicago Hope, All My Children, NCIS Los Angeles, and many other feature films and TV shows. 
His latest project is one he is super excited about, and I think you will be as well. We have that conversation today. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Kirk Taylor. Kirk, welcome to Men of Abundance, man. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Good to be with you, Wally. Awesome. It's good to see you, man. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Southern California. I just got a call from my brother from my home state of Connecticut, and uh, he said it was eight degrees yesterday, so I was like... I made the right move. Brother, you can have that all day long, man. I was watching some videos earlier on Facebook of people slipping and sliding all over the place. I'm here in sunny Florida. I think it got down to 47 degrees this week, which which is unusual, which is I didn't expect it to get. This is my first full year living in Florida. I didn't know I got even that cold here, but yeah, I I don't mind that. It's so cold. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, but not, not no eight degrees, man. Yeah, I used to to ski and I used to ice skate, but I really, even as a kid growing up in Connecticut, I moved from there to New York when I was 18. But when I was on the East Coast, I just, I didn't like the snow. I didn't Mm -hmm. like the cold. And so this is, uh, I think this is God's country I hear. Yeah, it's snow is not as romantic as they make it out to be, man. If you're a kid, if you're a kid, you get to have snowball fights, you get to fall, bury, make a uh, snowman, I mean, snow angels. It's a lot of fun. But yeah. once you cross that threshold of accountability and your dad says, take the shovel out there, mm-hmm. shovel that walkway. Okay, dad. Yeah, when you got to get up in that stuff every day and scrape the windows off and live in it and the salt destroying the cars if you're in a place that has yeah. the salt. Oh, for, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. Hey, man, I like to start out the conversation with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today, Kurt? I'm just thankful for God's mercy. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his patience. You know, I, I realize that he has to be very patient with me at times. And uh, I'm just thankful to to know that I always have that hope and I always have, I can always, uh, as grandfather said, look up. In yeah. fact, he called that we're not grateful. If someone gave you something and you weren't thankful, he's, he he had a little thing he saw on the farm. He had a farm. He said, you're like the hog under the apple tree. I said, what's that? He said, well, the hog would sometimes sit right under the apple tree and wait for the apples to fall, hit them on the head sometimes. He would eat them up and never look up where it came from. Mm. So try to maintain that uh, the, the attitude of gratitude and not be the hog under the apple. I'll tell you what, man, that that has been a huge turning point in my life when I decided to start being grateful every single day for every little thing that I have in my life. Grateful to have this conversation with you, man. I'm looking forward to what we're going to bring up here. Me too, man. Me too. Excellent. So how would you describe yourself, Kirk? Well, you know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual being having an earthly existence right now, uh, headed toward the finish line, headed toward the goals. Uh you know, I, I'm an artist, you know, I have an artist spirit, you know, I believe that that's something that God gave me. I didn't, you know, sometimes you don't realize how, you know, God planning out your life, saying he knows the plans he has for you, that your steps are ordered. You don't realize how far back that goes. Like you think, oh, that must have started when I was 17, when I accepted the Lord. No, no, it didn't start when you were 17. It started, he said, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. So. I realized that he had his hand on me. And then as I look back, sometimes, you know, that, that poem about looking back and seeing that Jesus was carrying you, I can look back and say, oh, wow. So I had that curiosity. That's one of the things that really uh, marks me is a curiosity about life. And I was always like that. I found some uh, old baby books that my mother had and she described it. I was like, oh, wow. 
So that was there then, asking questions, wanting to understand how things work, trying to get inside of stuff, which is a perfect attitude as an artist. You know, I believe I'm kind of a Renaissance guy. Well, a Renaissance man in that I, you know, I have musical abilities, I have acting abilities, I can teach. Uh, um, I, I start, I've been writing scripts, I write music. So uh, that curiosity and that desire to express and even to help interpret things, because that's one of the things that we as artists are illuminators. We illuminate the world, um, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But our product, as they say, uh, Washington is the seat of power, but Hollywood is the seat of influence. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a challenging job to do, but it's something that, I, as I said, I really believe that I've been created to do this. And um, every time I've tried to leave, like, you know, sometimes you're not working. It's a tough life. I mean, you don't know when you're going to work. You're trying to create product for yourself, too. But you're very often at the, you know, waiting for someone else to call you. I'm waiting for, I had an audition for a big TV show for a new recurring guest star a few days ago. And it's my friend. It's one of my best friends that is the writer and the showrunner on it. But even still, I have to wait. And that that sometimes isn't easy. And so um, that, that's been an interesting part of the journey, to learn how to be patient to learn how to wait, uh, uh, and at the same time, uh, uh, trying to push forward at the same time. I was I was at the end of my rope uh, several years ago, and I was like, you know what? I was so clear that God said, come to California for your film and television career. Now, I've done a few things here. I did uh, uh, NCIS Los Angeles. I did this. I said, but I'm not working much here. It's not really, this doesn't seem right. Maybe I heard it wrong, or maybe it's over the season. And so I, I turned to my wife. I said, hey, can you pray with me right now? She said, all right. I said, well, just pray that God would be really clear about what he wants me to do, because that's the most important thing to know, isn't it? I mean, to know that you're on the right path. I mean, because if you're on the right path and you know it, you can deal with a whole lot more than if you're just stumbling on a path and saying, I don't know if this is the way I'm supposed to go. If you don't know for sure and you start dealing with adversity, you're going to run. You're going to you're going to retreat or you're going to make some bad mistakes. And so I asked her to pray. And she prayed that, you know, if it was God's will for me to continue to act, that he would make it very clear. I said, make it very clear. And if it's not acting, make that clear. If you want me to go back full time to teaching or if you want me to concentrate on these hundred songs I've written that no one's heard, you you let me know. And so she prayed. She gets up. I didn't even get out of bed yet. I was I was making my way to put my leg over the edge of the bed and my phone rang. And I picked it up and, and it was Martin from Central Artist, my old manager. And Martin said, Kurt. He said, this Kirk, he said, this is Martin from Central Artists. I said, oh, hey, man. He said, Kirk, um, we just got a, a, a call from a major motion picture, and they want to know your availability next Friday. So we went from 30 seconds before praying that God would be clear if, he's, if I'm supposed to act to we have, they want to know if you're available next week. And within a week, I'm pinching myself because I'm wearing a New York cop uniform oh, in L.A., nice. I'm, uh, I have a police car, a New York police car, and I'm standing in front of Robin Williams and Mila Kunis in Robin's second to last film that he made in his whole life. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those times where, again, it's confirmed, but it still doesn't mean you're not challenged because you have to wait and you have to you struggle and you're, and you're dealing with this and that. But that at least let me know. I said, all right, do you want to brush that off? You want to make it a coincidence that that happened? That'd be very, very foolish because you've Mm. seen it a thousand times. This is God's way of telling you for sure. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You can add to it, which I'm doing with, uh, you know, various things starting to produce a little bit and 
other things. Um, but acting is something, the arts are something I've been called to. So I have to have an artistic, spiritual spirit. Yeah, wow. I call that divine intervention. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. I don't, I don't scoff at that. And I also, what, and I want to have this dialogue with you because I have this conversation often while I'm, I'm also a prayer and giving gratitude and, and just being spiritual and everything. And I, it's made so many miracles in my life that are just unexplainable. I could go on right. and on about them. But at the same time with things like what you're, with your story here, you put some things in place that, enabled somebody to your name your your image to pop into somebody's mind and say let's call this guy this is the guy we want for that part what are your thoughts on that and, and it's it's and it's astounding if you think about it because it was something that was set up before that moment i pray mm-hmm. god was already you know that's the thing that we have to realize is that god is always working behind the scenes on our behalf and that's where the trust comes in too i said lord i don't know how why it's going this way i know what you promised i claim that but I'm going to stand. It even said that Abraham, when he was promised to have a child, and he's like, he's an old man. And he, it says in, uh, in, in the New Testament, it says Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. But he didn't waver because of unbelief. So he's like facing the facts. This is not good. I mean, I never heard of anyone 95 or wherever he was. He was close to 100 having a child, having the mm-hmm. desire to have a child, having desire. I mean, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know. So, yeah, it, it was, for me, it was absolute intervention. It was God stepping in and setting it up. It had been set up because, obviously, someone had been thinking about me days before that. So on other days when God seemed silent, on other days when I didn't seem to get really an answer, he was already answering. That was the first scripture that I learned as a kid. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is open. So... That had, I had been knocking before. I just didn't see the manifestation. So sometimes that's where the patience comes in because very often we run out of our own steam. And I have found, I, I bet you have as well, that at those times when you start running out of gas, he provides gas mm. or maybe an alternate power source or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he, he provides a power source. It might be somebody coming up to you saying something. It might be a phone call. It might be something you read. It could be a song that's on a radio. I mean, it says in the book of Job, it says, God speaks to men in many ways, but he does not perceive it. You know, whether it's on a bed, he's even when you're messing up, he says, he'll he'll send you dreams to terrify you. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, he'll put you on a sick bed. Mm-hmm. Did that work? I mean, he'll turn the heat up. I mean, and listen, that's a kindness if you think about it, because if you're really a child of God, if you're a child of anyone, then th- th- you know that's a good thing. You don't want them to ignore you. And you go on the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, uh, 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 about to mess your life up. And he doesn't send any, you know, any discipline. He doesn't send any help. He doesn't confront you. That's not a good thing. So being chastised or chastened by the Lord, being on his radar, man, that's that brings so much peace in the midst of any kind of storm you're in. Well, talking about storms. One of the questions that I like to bring up and I like to ask is a kick in the gut moment. And the reason why I do this is because part of what we're talking about right here, I look at them as challenges. 
And I look at them as a, a chance to grow. I don't see any form of failure as true failure unless you just choose not to learn from it and, and, and not repeat that activity or whatever the case may be. But if you would, share with us a kick in the gut moment and really make us feel that. And then we're going to kind of get into what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Did that change the trajectory of your life at all? Well, there have been there have been two that come to mind. One was with uh, Stanley Kubrick when I did uh, Full Metal Jacket, which is Stanley Kubrick's considered one of the the top film directors of all time. You know, uh, with classics like Clockwork Orange, Two Thousand One Space Odyssey. I mean, a lot of great films. And I have been given one of the leads in that film. Uh, I had actually I auditioned in England. I was doing Death Wish Three with Charles Bronson in, in London, and I heard Kubrick was casting, and so I called, I called up and did a British accent and acted like I was an agent. I said, "You must see Kirk Taylor. He's he's wonderful. He's here shooting with Mr. Bronson. Mr. Bronson's very fond of him. We'd like you to see him and have Mr. Kubrick see him for Full Metal Jacket." And they were like, "Yeah, okay." They sent me over, so I got the role, gave what showed up for Kubrick, and told him a joke. Um, and, uh, within a few weeks I had gotten one of the leads, like the third or fourth lead. And I got a call at one point from, uh, Stanley's right hand man, Leon Vitale. And Leon said, Kurt, sit down. I was like, okay. I didn't sit down though. I was like, I'm not sitting down. What is, what kind of bad news is this? He said, listen, Stanley's been reading the script and he said that he doesn't, he doesn't think you're, you're dark enough to play the role. I said, what are you talking about? The guy's from New Orleans. He's Creole. I, I mean, I look, I mean, I, could, I play Creole all day long in my sleep. He said, no. He said, there are, there are lines like Jungle Buddy, Spear Chucker, and some other things, Jigaboo, and some other really negative words. And he says, no, we're really sorry. And so he, I hung the phone up. I literally collapsed on the floor, right, in my kitchen in Astoria, Queens, 4308 Newtown Road. I fell down on the floor. I cried to get it out. I sat up, wiped my face, and I said, not without a fight. And so I went on a prayer campaign. I went on a, a call. Everybody in the world that's even connected, that even knows Michael, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick, Michael Winner, the director from Death Wish 3, called British Equity. In other words, it's that whole thing about, you know, praying as if everything depends on you. Uh, but but uh, working as if every, I mean, sorry, working as if everything becomes that it depends on you and praying as if everything depends on God. Like I prayed as if it all depended on God and I worked as if I was the only one working, right? As I was given release to do. And they called me back a short while later and said, listen, Stanley doesn't want you to misunderstand. He said, you're one of three actors. He picked from tens of thousands of tapes, two or three actors. He said, he wants you in the film. He said, but just, it just doesn't work for that role. So we're going to give you the role of Sergeant Payback. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't care what the game, just give me something, get me over to England. Cause I was, you know, as we often do as artists, we, I spent the money. I thought I had money coming in, so I spent everything. Mm. And so I was ready to leave. So him not him not giving that to me was, I mean, it was devastating on a thousand levels as a young actor to work with one of the great directors, to, to go to, to travel uh, uh, to back to London. I mean, to have money coming in again, good money. And so I got there and I said, okay, you're going to be here for two weeks. I was like, oh, man, other, the other character which eventually was called eight ball was going to be there for a long time, you know, you know, like a year. <laughs> so I would have been, I would have cleaned up. Yeah, so, yeah. so I said, so they said, you're a weather cover because it rains so much here. We just need indoor scenes. We call them weather covers. And when we can't shoot outdoors, we shoot that first. But if we don't, we'll come to you and do the weather cover. You'll be out of here in less than two weeks. <laughs> well, like, I was there for almost four months. It wow. did not rain in England. 
They said it was the driest period in 25 years in England. It was dry. It didn't rain at all. I remember it sprinkled one day and stopped, like after three months. And finally, they said, "Look, we're still paying him. He's been here for for almost four months. We need to, we need to get him out of here, man. Let's just shoot the scene when it's sunny." And so that was God's way of of you know. I've heard one author called it a God wink. God mm-hmm. said, "I got you. Okay, they may forget about you. They may you know forget your name." They may uh, push you to the side, but I don't. And I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hill. I'm the one that owns all the gold and the silver. So it's not even theirs. They think it's theirs. So that was one of those times where I was I was devastated at first. I was devastated with that one. I've been, I've been left out of credits. I went on MacArthur Park, which is something with Billy Worth that I did, an uh, indie film. I played a great role of this cop, and I watched it and loved it. And we look up at the end of the film, and I'm so proud of myself, I said, oh my gosh, I believe that cop. I believe that's a cop. That's not just me. And the credits start rolling, and my name's not in the credits. Mm. I mean, if you know the, the process of, you know, having a hunger, a desire, a dream for acting, and then training, actually going and do training. I got four years, I got really 10 years of training, but four years at NYU with Strasburg. And then you get an agent, and then your agent gets you an audition, and then you will actually book the audition then they actually make it to set they don't cut you before you get to set then they shoot you then they edit you you're still in the film i mean that's a big a big process for us as actors right and then your name's not in the credits i was devastated and i, I walk out of the screening and i just kind of trying to calm myself down I was with a couple of friends my friend michael jai white gina bolton we we're all hanging out and i just you know, just was just trying to breathe and get myself together. I was so upset. And I look out of the corner of my eye and there's a man coming toward me. And I looked, I was like, is that Sidney Poitier? Is that Sidney Poitier? Is he coming over here? And he walked right up to me. Excuse me, he said. Did you play the cop? I said, oh, oh, hi, Mr. Poitier. Yes, yes, I, I did. I did. He said, I watched you very closely. And I did not know if you were a real cop. Or if you were an actor, that's meant to be a compliment to you. I thought to myself, that cop should be an actor. And I said, sir, that, wow, I, I, I can't, it means so much to me. They just, they didn't put my name in the credits. And he said, where you're going in your career, that will not matter. The presence you bring to the screen. And at that point, my hearing went out. Like, I couldn't take any more compliments from him. <laughs> and I just watched his lips move and thought, Mr. Tibbs, his role in, uh, in the heat of the night. And that was another way where God said, they may forget you. They may try to push you aside, but I know where you are. And you just got a compliment from one of the great actors of any generation, not just his generation, but almost any generation, a trailblazer, an actor's actor. And he came up and told you that he didn't know if you were a cop or an actor. That's how good a job you did as a cop. He thought you were a cop. I mean, that's the ultimate compliment. And that's what God gave me. And I would have had them leave me out of the credits, Wally, a thousand times. I would have done the film for free just to have Sidney Poitier, the Academy Award winner, come up to me and say that. I wrote him a letter later and I said, sir, I said, thank you for your kind words. I said, and I want to just quote this, that the final test of a gentleman is how he treats those can be of no possible benefit to him. They can't do nothing for him. And yet. He showed a generosity of spirit and kindness. And very often we in this industry, when we start to get bigger, we get bigger. The head gets bigger, too. And all of a sudden you forget that you're in a position to serve. 
people, that you're here to serve the director, the writer, to bring this character to life, that you're here to try to, 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 to touch the audience, really, not just have them watch and nod, but actually, as Brando said, you're supposed to, you, our job is to make them stop eating their popcorn mid-kernel. Mid, mid like, they're here, and you're like, that's what we're supposed to do. So it's a, it's a great position, but it's one that really, I believe, that should require humility. It should be humility in it, but very often, because we, you know, kind of in the United States, uh, Hollywood has become our royalty. We don't have a queen and a king, but we have Hollywood. And I think that's been kind of the confusion for a lot of our, a lot of the brethren and, and sisters, um, that it, it's it's really, you sh it's it's a, a job to be thankful. As you're saying about attitude of gratitude, that's what it should be. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to touch those made in your image, created in your likeness, that I could bring to life this character. And and how about the one I just did with I played Simon Peter. That's another that was another God wing. So those are that those are three different ones with with um that where God showed up and and let me know he was there and let me know not to worry. Don't even worry about it. And so I've had some I have something even with this latest film that's come out. There was an issue with that with my credit, believe it or not. And uh I play Simon Peter in this one in Revival. You know, the, the, the great uh, disciple and apostle, the, the pillar of the church. I get to play him, and, and my name was again um, left off the poster. And then it's not in a single card. It's kind of in a roll of other names, like 15 other names. And I'm the third lead. I'm the third lead in this film. Hmm. And I had the same reaction, and I read to myself. I had it written out in a biographical form what Poitier said. And I started weeping. Because I realized it was for then too that God had just as he'll he'll give a prophecy that means two things it'll mean something in the Old Testament dispensation where it was said but it also refers forward to the Messiah like it's for more than one thing and this was one of those 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 words delivered to me from the from the mouth of Sidney Poitier that was meant for then and it was meant to be a reminder now I know where you are don't don't worry about it I got you got your back I can do more for you than they can do anyway. And so that's why I'm even moving forward with, you know, doing interviews and stuff about this film, because I believe that there's going to be another, you could call it a God wink, or you can call it a God nod. I like God nod. So you give it, that's a God nod, right? Mm -hmm. So I know there's going to be another one. I don't know what's going to come with this film. I, I'm very proud of my work in it. I, I was an honor to, I mean, think about being able to play Peter, Simon Peter. And, and with such an illustrious cast, Harry Lennox wrote it. And direct, uh, well, he didn't direct it, but he produced it and wrote it, and he's in it too, playing Punctious Pilot. Got Shaka Khan, the great R&B singer. We have uh, Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child, Anthony Azizi, Jeffrey Anderson, Guntner, Wendy Raquel. I mean, just a host of great people. And so, I keep getting those things where God gives me the strength at the time when I feel like I'm 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 running out of I'm running out of juice. You know, He constantly do that uh, does that for me. And so, when I've been kicked in the stomach, and that those are some of the instances where I've been kicked. Man, he knows how to blow that air back in. He knows how to in reinflate you, you know, and breathe on you. Yeah, I totally get that, man. So, Revival, when is this coming out? Well, we had a soft opening in December. Uh, we opened in 10 cities, including L.A., Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, um, you know, and, and it did it did very well. In L.A., they didn't have the attendance was not up because they didn't do the advertisement they did in other mm -hmm. cities for some reason. But... um the test went really well. People were really, it's very moving, man. It's, it's because it's such an unusual telling of the gospel. I mean, if you want to see a different version of it 
and kind of taking some artistic license, not with content so much, but with the form of it, it's astounding. It starts as a play and then turns into a film where the actor playing Jesus, who comes into the theater with his guitar over his shoulder, gets ready in his dressing room. All of a sudden he looks in the mirror and something happens and he falls into the mirror, basically. And next he's in the first century. He is Jesus. And and he experiences those. And then it flashes forward to California in the year 2050 or something. And then it flashes back to the first century. Then it's back on stage down at the Nate Holden Theater. I mean, it is insane. And it is beautiful. Yeah, it sounds um, like exactly the type of show that my wife and I like to watch. Oh, dude, I think you would like yeah. it, man. It's like I call it Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell <laughs> meet 2001 Space Odyssey. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Man, much respect, dude. I'm serious because it's it, even when I was a little guy, you know, a lot of kids want to be actors because they see all the fame and glory and all this kind of stuff. But I've always just been kind of a joker and just playing around and having fun and everything. So I ended up joining the Army. But even along the way, I, I had guys over. I had a commander who got out and he's done some pretty big roles in different TV shows. But I'll tell you what you were talking about earlier and it being a blessing. It truly is because, uh, you know, I really get caught up in the story, but I really love watching the specific actors. And you see the ones that are great and the ones that are not so great. And it, when they, when they, when a facial expression can give you chills and make you cry or get you angry, you know, and you get caught up in the character, it's just an amazing thing to watch. And I really do. I love to study it. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's it, man. And, and there, there are, there are different levels of acting, of course. And there are some that you watch and you say, Hey, that's good. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And others you watch where it takes your breath away a little bit where you say, I know that pain. I know that joy. Oh my gosh. I know it's So it's, it's a gift. I mean, I think of it as that we, as a, an, an actor, if you want to go and work that deeply, because not everybody does to really work mm -hmm. from yourself. I mean, you're still playing a character. It's not you. We're not, and we're not crazy. We know it's a character. But you're still using aspects of yourself. You're using things from your, as Brando called it, your emotional mechanics. So I use my emotional mechanics, and I know how to set those things in motion. And so you're able to do things and, and have people hold someone a little tighter. Or mm -hmm. uh, I heard uh, two things. One was the Philharmonic director in uh, San Francisco. He was saying that the purpose, the greatest purpose of art, the highest form of art, is to glorify God and to refresh the human spirit, to glorify God, mm -hmm. refresh the human spirit. And I would ask, I would add this, to challenge the soul of men and women, because art can do that as well. The things are brought up and you think, wow, that's not right. Or, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that was the history behind it. So it has, it, it has a great potential to, you know, acting can, through film, television, on stage too, really, um, you don't get, you can't see the full expressions, but has it has the opportunity to really impact impact someone's life, someone made in the image of God. And this guy, Richard Boleslavsky, he was my teacher was Lee Strasberg, and Lee Strasberg uh, trained in the 1920s before he started the group theater. He trained with this guy, Richard Boleslavsky. He was a uh, from Russia, from the Moscow Art Theater with Stanislavsky and all the old the, the 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 first guy to really systematically try to understand the process of acting and study the great actors and figure out what they did so he could train people to do it. And so Strasberg inherited that. But Bolosovsky, when he came, he said that he said that acting is, uh, uh, let's see, the life of the human soul receiving its birth through art. 
the life of the human soul receiving its birth through art. That's what acting is. And so when you're moved, that's because someone's soul is coming through. There's some there's something that touches your soul, you know. So I think it's a, you know, it wasn't always an honorable profession. That's why Uda Agen wrote a book called Respect for Acting. Yeah. Because it was said like, look, if it was a tightrope, you think a football player just get up there and start trying to walk across it or somebody who has happens to have some musical skills. In other words, where's the respect for acting? You you definitely respect tightrope. Mm-hmm. You're not going up there unless you're trained right. or have a net. Give me a net. Um, but with acting very often, there is not the respect that there should be uh, in understanding what it takes. And also really protecting artists, because if you think about the kind of people that are drawn into the arts, there's usually an unusual sensitivity. There's always, there is some kind of unusual insight in, in an understanding of things. And very often there are directors that I've worked with who didn't understand the artistic part, really, and the courage it even takes to go up there. I mean, let's just talk about that. Mm-hmm. How about at every performance, I don't care how bad it is. I learned from my uh, my teacher, who's uh, Sidney Poitier's cousin, actually, Barbara Covington Poitier. And Barbara said she could always go backstage, and I do it now, Go backstage and say, congratulations, thank you. Because they, 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 they dared, they tried it, they stepped out. You know, a lot of uh, other, you know, timid souls who are sitting on a couch or, you know, hiding behind the bureau or whatever it is. They, you know, so there is a certain amount of admiration you have to have for people to do it. Hopefully you're skilled to do it. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, in, in this context, I would say, hopefully you're called to do it. Because you don't want to go into something. There have been plenty of people that have gifts uh, to act, but haven't had the the strength to w- withstand the pressures that came. You know, whether it be through drugs or just you know a lot of horrible things have happened. People just, I mean, I, I, I was just talk about Robin Williams, who I love that guy, mm-hmm. and being with him that day, eating lunch with him and talking to him and making making me laugh. Um, but I could see his sadness. Yeah, I, I could see it. You know, you my wife was actually fortunate enough to, we were in Hawaii at the time. We lived in Hawaii, but she went, she, every year she goes somewhere with her girlfriends from high school. She grew up in Panama in Central America. This year she was in uh, New York at the David Letterman show, actually. And oh. that was the night that Robin was there. So she was able to see him in person. God. Like and, you know, one of the questions that I have for you is, is, Something that I've been I've been thinking about because I'm real big on on getting you know getting in the right state before I get on a call like this. Sometimes I'm not I'm not always having a great you know just in a great mood something's going on, but I always make sure I'm in the right state before I get on the call so I can have a great conversation before I do right. any you know anything. I got to get in that state of mind. And I know actors, they I've known of some actors. I mean they just stay in character, stay in that state and. I know some like um who was the one that he played the Joker? Yeah, oh, uh, uh, Heath Ledger. Heath, or was he, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's got to mess with the mind. The one movie that really got me thinking about this was um, Stranger Than Fiction. When oh, when that. she was writing the book and and she's she's killing people. That she she kills people in her head for a living. That's got to mess with your head a little bit. So I'm looking, you know, I think about one of the movies you played on Full Metal Jacket. And you look at uh, Vincent, who played Pyle. That was a crazy character. And that dude had the, he had the he, crazy he, he, he gained 75 pounds. Nobody even talks and about that. And that's the point. That's my point. You got to change. You, you physically change your body and your mind. And that's got to take a toll on people at, at some time. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, that's a, a great uh, a great subject. Um, when we're coming up as actors, there's a whole there's a freedom they're trying because we, we come out of a out of the world where you're trying to negotiate life and you come up with way, different ways of conditioning and protecting yourself and not showing emotion when you need to, when you when you when you're real emotional because you can't do it, you know. And so in acting schools, they they train you to uh, really open up and explore, explore yourself, explore the world. Now the, the the fault is that they don't give you boundaries really. I mean, so if you were not a spiritual person or had somebody in your camp who has some some wisdom about things, then obviously that could turn into excess, right? That could turn into indulgence. That can turn into things that would obviously not please God, right? And so that's something we were never given. So it's always freedom for freedom's sake almost. It's almost like, let it go, try it, ah, you know, dive in, do this. You know, there are actors who have taken roles and say, I just wanted to be free, so I did a nude scene just so I could feel free. I was like, wow, that's not where freedom comes from, first mm-hmm. of all. And uh, uh, it just shows a basic misunderstanding. But it's understandable. Why? Because they don't they – don't, I met Drew Barrymore as a little girl. She was at one of Lee and Anna Strasberg's parties, and she was maybe seven. And I remember looking at her. Even then, I thought, I hope they protect her. I hope they protect her. She's such a mm-hmm. sweet – and if – if they just let her go on the path of just try it, try it before you buy it, whatever, that's not going to be good for her. It's going to be hard on her. And that was, I, pr- I said a prayer for her and that was it. And she has had her struggles, she, you know, as we all do. Mm-hmm. So anyways, the preparation, they teach you that. So then when you get into the role, uh, you, you jump in with both feet, like Full Metal Jacket. I started interviewing Vietnam veterans. I've interviewed a lot of Vietnam veterans. I was reading books. I had books of poetry. I had... and. I started getting to a place where I started having nightmares about Vietnam in 1985. I'm having, I'm having, Vietnam has been over. Mm. I'm having bad, I'm having nightmares about mm. Vietnam and about children. So you want to put yourself in there, but you also want to have safeguards. Uh, safeguards like like my one of my acting teachers, David Gideon, said years ago, he says, never, ever get involved with anybody that you're working with. He said, because you don't know, that's your job to make yourself believe, whatever way, by hook or by crook, to make yourself, you believe that you love them, that they're the one that's written in the script that's for you. But afterwards, he said, you, it's very easy, and it happens a thousand times with actors who get confused on the set. They get confused. That makes sense. And end up, end up marrying them. Mm-hmm. And then wake up in the middle of the mirror going, Oh shoot, that was a pres- that was preparation for my character. So it can uh, 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 be very problematic. Pacino had a hard time letting go of stuff. I had a hard time on. Uh, I did a film called Street Walking with Melissa Leo, the Academy Award winner, Leon, uh, Dale Metcalf, um, Joanne something directed. I can't remember her name right now. And uh, I was playing a, a, a pimp named Spade. And I had these, I had these parachute pants with a buckle. I had these, this, the studded shirt with glass. I mean, it was just, I went all out on it. And I really, I really trained uh, with some, you know, as actors talking about the training part, I trained with some criminals um, because you know, you're trying to get inside of a thing. And so at least getting understanding, there are different ways to work your way into a role and or work the role into you. Um, and so I went up to the, up to the Bronx, to the boogie down Bronx, and I spent time with Gooby D. I doubt he's still alive, but he was there, and he taught me a style of fighting called, I think it was called Prison Yard. It was a prison yard? Prison Yard fighting. Uh, it was for Roger Corman, and he loved that scene. 
But afterwards, I uh, oh Julie Newmar was in it from uh, from uh, you know the original Catwoman, Antonio Fargas from uh, um, what was he in uh, Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch. So I had some good people. Afterwards, I was in. I went back to acting class. I try to stay in class if I can, even when I'm not when I'm not working. And my acting teacher, David, said, "Kirk, what are you doing?" I still had the tail. I had grown my hair out about this long in a braid. I still have I still have the hole from the earring, and I do wear earrings. But I had the earring from the film. I was still wearing the clothes, some of the clothes. He said, "Your father's a dentist. You're from Connecticut." Oh, okay. So that's how you get lost. I mean, there are things you grow from as an actor because you have a chance to study things and, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, learn how to do certain things. Uh, and that's that's a great fringe benefit of acting. You don't have to go through the same risk. I can play a dentist, but not have to go to medical school like my dad did. I don't right. want to be a dentist. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we do get caught. And that's where also you have to bring yourself back. you got to have people around you like I had. You need to have a spiritual foundation. You need to be on your staying on your knees, staying on your knees before the Lord. And asking her his intervention, I've asked him to coach me. I asked, I said, Lord, I need you to coach me on this role. Even the last one, I'm playing a character, the one the audition I told you about that I'm waiting to hear about now, and I'm claiming that audition. I'm claiming it's a great role, and it's the guys from New Orleans as well, just like Full Metal Jacket, you know, uh, the Creole guy. It's a Creole mm-hmm. character. Nice. I was like, God, oh, it's mine. Yeah. So uh, I'm staying on my knees. I'm asking God to help me. I ask him to guide me, and I say, Listen, I'll give you control over the doorways of my life. It says in Revelations 3, 3, 7, it says, what I open, no one can shut. What I shut, no one can open. I was like, all right, shut the door if it's not from you. Even if I like it, shut it. But if it is for me and they try to shut it, they can't shut it. It says that they cannot open what you've shut and they cannot shut what you've opened. I've used that a bunch of times. And I've had times where rolls fell through and I was pulling my hair. I was like, why did I pray that? Ugh. And then other times when it was like, like Full Metal Jacket. It was over. It was done. Mm-hmm. There have been other things like that, too, where it was it was done. I wasn't going to get it. I'm out. And then it turned back around. So, you know, keeping keeping yourself centered spiritually and having good accountability and good people around you that can watch you and say, hey, you're tripping a little bit. Yeah. You're tripping. Ah. Right. That's that's important. That's huge. And I'm glad that you put it that way, because one, having having faith in God and having a you know, people by your side who are going to say, hey, <laughs> your dad's a dentist. Who are you trying to be today? You know, yeah. that was your character before. That's not ah, who you I, are. <laughs> I forgot my dad was a dentist. I literally, I was, I was this dude. Yeah. I was crazy. I can see it, man. I can see it working like that. That's crazy. So, brother, we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward to our abundant leaders. You ready to do that, man? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Well, I think the most important thing is to, what's kind of a twofold thing, of really searching your own heart and, and asking the questions about what is it that I cannot live without? What is it that I feel like I have to do? Like the thing I can't drop, the thing that is hunger inside me or a burden. You know, it says the same, the word vision and burden are the same word in Hebrew. So God said, I gave you a vision. It means I gave you a burden. So what's your burden? So really it starts with introspection. And introspection before God's light, too. I mean, to, I mean, like I did many times. Like I've, I've been willing to lay this down many times. And I know other actor friends of mine that God just could see. He says, where, where do you think the light's needed more? In a dark place or in, in, on the beach? No, you need it at the beach during the day. No, you need it in a dark place. 
So first of all, to search your heart, to, to seek God is kind of the second part of that. To really seek God about whether or not you're seeing things right. Is, is this what you have planned for me? I know what I want, but is this your plan for now during this season? So that's the starting point is that is that prayer and that introspection and to, to really spend time with it. I mean, I had to go away before I was told to go to California for film and television. I went away for to Atlanta to a friend's house and prayed for two weeks, fasted and prayed. Those are really important tools. There's, th- there's things you can get from fasting, and I'm, I'm kind of talking to myself because I don't feel like fasting right now. I don't want to fast. But, but that's one of the disciplines that the Lord left us and said we would fast. And that there is something about putting, turning your plate down, denying a legitimate need, and saying, Lord, this is for you. And every hunger pain, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for allowing me to, to be in this position with you. Thank you, Lord that I could deny myself to, 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 to embrace you and your will for me. I mean, that kind of rounds out the first step, really, um, of, you know, prayer and introspection and, uh, and fasting as part of that prayer, right? Um, from there, it's, it's about really being hungry about the field that you're in and soaking up as much as you can. Find out where it's happening. Watch other people. Talk to other people. Go to, go to plays. Get in plays. Um, get the training that you need. Uh, that, that's these days. It's even more important. Even at the level where I'm at, I have to make sure. Like even going in for this audition the other day, I was like, I'm going in for one of the like the toughest casting directors in the world. And afterwards, she was gushing about me, and I was a little shocked. <laughs> but you have to learn your craft and you got to keep yourself oiled up. So if you're not doing it now, get back in class or, 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 or get some friends together that can help you to work on it. I heard that Pacino would do that. It would just be reading plays all day, all day long. Um, and just getting, getting the gears oiled up. So that'd be, that'd be the second spot is to do is to, you know, get the training. And the third thing would be be bold with it. It says the wicked flee what no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. So as you, you're confident in that first step and having your relationship with God uh, in the right place, knowing that he wants you to do this, having received your training, now it's like to step up, not with pride, not with arrogance, but with confidence. And sometimes I think we as Christians can miss that because we're so, especially those with tender hearts that want to really please the Lord, they're, they're afraid to offend him. They're afraid to take a chance that might mess things up or misrepresent him. But once you kind of got your marching orders, you've done your training, you've been seeking him, you know which way you're supposed to go. Now it's time to step up as he leads. Because there have been times I've been told to chill, stop, don't do anything. And then I've been told to do things. So that sensitivity to the spirit, huge. Think about the, the resource you have. Think about the resource you have if you can somehow communicate with the, the God of the universe who made everything, who sees everything, who knows everyone, who owns everything. Imagine if you could tap into that resource. Come on, what could stop you? And then you just have to put into action. It says faith without corresponding action is dead. Whoa, wait, I could have, I could have faith, but it could be dead? Like comatose faith, out, out, knocked out faith? Yep, it doesn't do you any good. Because you you know you you say you're trusting for something, but you're not willing to take the action that's connected with it. So a lot of it is really you know 
it will be adjusted as you go. But the main thing is 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 to look up and look in. And I verify and it says it says the scripture talks about about it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay. So we are asking for his light. It's, it's not just our own little flashlight where we're looking in, but it's his light. That's where we're inviting his light to search us and to help us to see which path. And so when I was told, I was told like being those three, those three steps I just mentioned, I did. And then at one point I was here at my church in uh, California. It's called church on the way. It was a very well-known pastor named pastor Jack Hayford and his uh, son-in-law, Scott Barr was the pastor at the time here in, in Van Nuys, California. And, uh, I had just done a, a Stevie Wonder show, the great Stevie Wonder, my gosh. And Shaka Khan was my leading lady. It was like, it was like a dream. I couldn't believe I was looking across her and singing, you are the sunshine of my life to Shaka Khan. It was crazy. Mm. So we come back, it closes early. I come back uh, and I, I don't know if I should stay in, in Vegas, but the stay in Vegas is insane. There's no film work really there. They don't, they, they only do small guest parts. They're co-stars. Uh, even the plays, there's, it's just not the kind of stuff that you'd want as you're, you're a serious trained actor. And I come back, but I have a feeling I'm supposed to stay there, which is, that's silly. Why would I want to stay there? I'm going to come back, man. I come back to my apartment in North Hollywood. So I walk down the aisle and the guy, the pre, uh, Scott Barr was preaching and he stops. He says, okay, now I want you to grab the hand of two or three people and pray with them and uh, tell them what your need is. I was like, whoa, okay. So I grabbed hands with one girl I knew from the choir, Brienne, and someone else. And I said, hey, I've been in Vegas for almost three months, and uh, the show closed early, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If I'm supposed to go back to Vegas, somehow sense maybe I am, or if I should stay here, I don't know. And she said, okay, and they, they both prayed for me. I sit down, talking about God leading, right, that you, you put it out there. You take those three active steps. I, I sat down in my seat and he said, today I'm preaching on Jonah and Nineveh. He said, God was upset with Nineveh to say the least. In fact, God was going to nuke Nineveh because of its transgressions. He said, just like he might want to nuke a city in the United States. He said, he said, what about Las Vegas? Like he said it out loud. He said, what about Las Vegas? And I looked at him like, did you just say, I, I've been here for years. I never even heard those two sounds come out of anybody's mouth. Las Vegas? Sin City, right? Everyone starts laughing. You don't think I laugh, right? Mm. And he said, anybody here from Las Vegas? He's laughing. And I start sliding down my seat. I'm not putting my hand up. He's mocking Las Vegas. And I am I just asked about Las Vegas. That's bizarre. And then he's, he, I look back at him because I looked at the girl back there. She was grinning. And I look back at Pastor Scott. And it, Wally, it looked like you knew something had just happened to him. Like... He had gotten some kind of message because you saw he was so sober. His face was so serious. And he put his finger and says, no, no, go and show the love of God in Las Vegas. That's what he said from the pulpit. I was, <laughs> I was freaking wiped out, was wiped out. Like I get answered. When you get an answer that clear, everyone thinks they want a clear answer mm -hmm. until the answer is something that you don't really want to do. Then you wish it was a little less clear. You wish it was a little murky. So, oh, no, what, what he probably meant was, but this was from the pulpit. My pastor says, go and show the love of God in Las Vegas. What do you think I did? He just preached about Jonah and Jonah going the other direction instead of following God's. He, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And Ninevites had been very cruel to the Jews. They were, a, they, were, they, were a, they were a terror. And so he went the other way and got in a wreck 
and, and then end up being thrown in into the ocean and got swallowed up by a fish. I was like, well, I'm not getting swallowed up again because I've been swallowed up. I'm not getting swallowed up. I'm going to Vegas. Everybody asked me, why are you going to Vegas? I, Listen, don't even ask me. It's, it, I'm supposed to go to Vegas. God wants me in Vegas. I don't know. And then there were things that happened in Vegas that were rough. But I knew where I was supposed to be. So I was able to suck it up. If you're in a fight and you, you got boxing gloves on and somebody punches you in the face, you don't stop and say, hey, hey. You don't do that. You try to counter him. You try to move yourself, get your head offline, fight. So... In this situation, because I knew where I was supposed to be, I could take the punch. But if I if, if someone just walks up and punches you in the face on the street, that's a little different, isn't it? You mm-hmm. might run. You might fight back. But you would be shocked. Say, why did you punch me? So I knew where I was supposed to be. And so I was able to defend the territory, which was like, listen, it wasn't easy because I wanted to go back. But I was like, I can't. I know only one thing for sure. God told me clearly to go to las vegas and then there were people i led someone to the lord who's from argentina and that person went back and it's like a a soul winner and like an evangelist in argentina i'm like oh my god so there were things that happened during that period that would not have happened if i was not in town and so i went and it was it, it cost me too because when you drop off the map from hollywood please mm. what have you done for me lately as the janet jackson song says i think it's janet jackson mm-hmm. what have you done for me lately and so I came back. They were like, who are you? And I had lost a lot of momentum, but I obeyed God. And so I know he has a way of picking up the slack. As I said, he gives you a God nod and let you know he knows where you are. He did it with me. I got back here when I was finally able to come back three years later. Three years later, I was in Vegas for three years. It was crazy. I come back and a friend of mine who's a has a prophetic anointing, uh, Cornelia Crawford in uh, Washington State, she said, she called me and she said, I see God releasing a portion of what you've been waiting for in three days. I mean, she's real specific. You can't fake this. It was a Friday. She said, in three days, you'll receive a portion. And she says, and you also will be lifted up on a platform by the nations of the world. And before those very nations, you will minister to them. So these are insane prophecies. So the first one, three days later, what happens? It's a Sunday. A dude walks up to me at church who I don't know well, Michael something, Ben Coley, but I didn't know him well at the time. I'd seen him. He hands me a check for $3,000. I was broke. I was completely broke. I had like $19 left. I was looking for jobs at the church. I went for benevolence. I was like, well, Lord, I'm back. But Lord, it doesn't, I mean, how am I going to do this? He gave me three grand. Then I was told that my roommate was going to have to leave. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. He just got a check from the Lion King. He's he's rolling in money. And I'm I, I'm using up this, this, uh, this money that I have. And... Well, actually, that's when I still had the 19. So I, I, this guy, he leaves my apartment. The $3,000 come and it, it was all coordinated. So God was basically letting me know, do it my way. It doesn't have to make sense to you. If you can, if you can hear me clearly, if you know what I'm telling you to do, just do it. Just do it. And so I've been living that way, you know, with, with trusting him. And, and, and I, I'm honestly saying it's not easy because there have been times when you climb the wall where you're crying, where you know, the book of Psalms is a great prayer book, man. When, you, when you're struggling, you know, tears have been my food day and night. My bed is a, like a river. I'm crying so many tears. Lord, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? I mean, those are good prayers. Those are honest prayers. And so that, those are the kind of prayers that have saved my life because there have been times when I've been like, I'm done. I'm toast. Mm. 
What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Fear. Fear. And the, 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 big, the big lesson on that is that everybody's afraid. Everybody's scared. I heard a general who had seen men die in battle, do courageous things, die valiantly. General, what is courage? And he said, courage is fear that hangs on a minute longer. So that fear can stop us, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of being mocked, fear of being ridiculed, fear of being made a fool of, fear of falling down. Those things I think can really, uh, fear is one of the only things that really short circuits God's grace. I mean, it short circuits some of the benefits of that grace, I'll put it that way. Um, the, the fear can, you know, because people have observed that fear is really kind of the opposite of faith. Because faith is trust and confidence that God's going to do what he says, that he's who he says he is. And fear is like, well, what if this doesn't work out? Well, wait, wait. Didn't God say he's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh, if you want to use the Hebrew, the God who provides? Isn't he Yahweh uh, Shema? The Lord is here. I feel alone. I feel. He says, I'm Yahweh Shema. Which, which is the redemptive name saying, God is here. Or, you know, Yahweh Shalom, he's your peace. God, I'm just in such turmoil. Well, by constantly going back, knowing, it's like having an inheritance that nobody gives you the will. If you don't read the Bible, you don't know the will. You may know things, there's a revelation in nature. It says God is revealed through the stars. He's revealed through a flower. He is. But then the specific revelation, if you don't read it, then you're going to be the, the, uh, uh, someone who has a, a, a lot of riches that are supposed to be given, but he's living in a tent on under the bridge because he doesn't know. And so I think we all in some areas of our lives lives like, live like that guy living in a tent under the bridge, you know, eating out of tin cans. So I think that it's a fight. Mm. And so I would just say, too, don't give up the fight. Yes, you're scared. Fight. As uh, I can say this, there's a film I saw called Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. And there was a takeaway from that. This is a true story about these guys. They've received training that was above the training of most branches of the military. They had to be able to do what other guys couldn't do. They had to withstand the cold when everybody else is going to hypothermia and can't think. They had to think. So these guys were put through just the rigors. And the two takeaways from that film, and that, that, that would summarize what we're talking about here, is that as long as you have breath, you are still in the fight. And secondly, you can always do more than you think you could do. Always. That's why people hire personal trainers, because they know that the personal trainer will push them further than they would. Mm-hmm. Could, they, could they do it without the trainer? Yeah. But will they? Mm, a Most few. Won't. Most won't. Most won't. So if I got one more question for you, Kirk, and that is what does living a life of abundance mean to you? Well, it kind of echoes back to what we're what we abundance you know i think of abundance as it doesn't mean you're going to be rich but i think you have more than enough for your needs they say we're a blessed we're, we're blessed to be a blessing so to, to live an abundant life would be first of all to remember to always remember to be thankful as we talked about it is sometimes i've had to encourage myself like i've been in in under attack and I'm, I'm down in the dumps and i said lord i'm gonna go over every little nice thing you do for me today and the things I could think of any time that you did for me. Thank you for this clean glass of water, Lord. Lord, thank you that I have a roof over my head. And so I think that if I can maintain, the live a life of abundance would be to maintain always a thankfulness 
and understanding which side your bread is buttered on. Understand who's buttering your bread. Understand that God is there. If I could live, if I could have that, and then also to have to be able to be of influence in a positive way through my art, influence the world to touch the world, uh, and be able to take care of my family. You know, to be able to have enough, more than enough, to take care of our needs and to be able to 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 sow that into other people. You know, it's we're in a we're in a culture really where everybody's trying to get their own mm. and i understand it you know because it's not easy to get your own but if it's just for you then even if it is abundance it's it's wasted abundance i mean people go uh, the, the jews have a saying about the, the burial shawl and they said the burial shawl has no pockets you ain't taking a dime you're not taking a shekel whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it <laughs> yeah yeah. Nothing's coming with you. You're going to have to leave. So you're going to take a real abundance will ultimately be on the other side of eternity. It's, it, it'll, its final expression will be on the other side in eternity when we see the lives that we've touched, when we see those that are there because of us, when we realize that we, we fought the good fight. If I could fight the good fight and, and make sure I get there, that's going to be abundant enough for me. In the meantime, I'll do those things with my family, take care of my, you know, my stay close to the Lord, stay thankful and fight. I love it, brother. I, I admire your work. I really do. I admire, you know, everything that you do. And and uh, we're going to have Kirk Taylor official dot com linked up in the show notes. But before I let you go, what do we not talk about? that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation today? Well. I mean, there are other aspects of what I do, too. So so. Being willing to diversify, too. As it says about throwing your bread on the water, you know, distributing things. You don't know what's going to come. So, you know, even though acting has been clearly God has said, no, I didn't say anything about you stopping acting. You're going to continue to act as long as you obey me. Okay, cool. But what are the other things I do? And there's very often it's, it's good to have something else that you can do as well. You know, the teaching came in handy. I play uh, keyboards, and so I've been musical director of shows. I'm writing music. I heard about the same thing with Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett, very accomplished singer, obviously. I mean, one of the greats. Oh, and me still, and my wife love Tony, yeah. Tony Bennett, I love that. I have a couple songs. I wrote a song for her. Well, actually, I didn't write it. My uncle wrote it mm-hmm. back in the 50s and, uh, uh, for Nat King Cole, and Nat didn't get to do it. And so it's been sitting for 50 years, you know, something like that. So I'm, I have to get that across to Tony. Uh, but it, but um, Tony Bennett, he was told by Duke Ellington, he said, continue to paint. He said, make that your other thing so that you have something that you can go to when things dry up here, when things aren't going, that you don't have to be stuck there staring at the wall. And so I think that uh, the men of abundance to know that, you know, you have your main thing and then also uh, be open to other opportunities that come and developing other skills that you have because you never know how all those will eventually coalesce into one Mm -hmm. thing. Like my acting has turned into affected my writing, my music, my, I mean, it's affected everything. So, um, to keep your eyes open for that kind of crossover into other things and, and other skills that you might have that you should develop as well. Absolutely. Even if it's something that you just enjoy doing is, you know, it's just pleasurable because at some point that may be all you have, man. And I, I love that. Thanks so much, man. Hey, great conversation i absolutely dig everything you had to say man it's so intriguing just to sit and listen to you and you're so articulate um i love it absolutely love the conversation so i'm looking forward to sharing you and introducing you to men of abundance brother just go out live your life of abundance and keep paying it forward man you're doing it in a big way and i absolutely love it my pleasure man thank you so much wally for 
helping to facilitate this platform so people can connect. I mean, that's the, the blessing of technology, right? I mean, we have a lot more ways that we can connect with folks than we did before. And this is one of the ways. And, and Hollywood at first, Christians left Hollywood mm-hmm. when they first started because they said it was evil. And then they abandoned it and then it was the, the, the void was filled. No, technology is not evil in itself. It, it is a tool. And so thank you for making this tool, helping to make this tool for all of us to to connect and, and hopefully encourage one another. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, man. You got it, man. All right, guys, I know that conversation went a little bit longer than usual, so I'm just going to leave you with this. Go out, live your life of abundance, and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.